Well, our text this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 8, and we're going to look at the whole chapter. It's not an extremely long chapter as chapters go in Deuteronomy, but we're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. We'll get around to reading it here in just a moment. Anyway, of course, I guess we all know that tomorrow is Memorial Day. I would think that we know that. And uh, this is just kind of some curmudgeonly ranting, you know, just where I kind of air my thoughts about things. But the name of this holiday is kind of odd nowadays, really, because people really don't memorialize too much on Memorial Day. I mean, really. Today, it's, it's usually what we think of people doing on Memorial Day is having to get together, maybe out in the backyard and having hot dogs with friends and family and then going inside and watching some kind of a sporting event on big screen TV. I think they've already done the Indy 500. I think that was done day before yesterday. You know, I hazard a guess that many people in our country don't realize what Memorial Day was really supposed to be about and what it is supposed to be about. Sometimes we just equate it with uh, Veterans Day or even Armed Forces Day. Well, it's, it's far, far more than that. I may have told you about this. If I did, you can go to sleep during this tale. But uh, whenever I was a pastor in Yorktown, Texas, uh, we still had a noon whistle that blew Monday through Saturday at 12 o'clock. Yorktown was uh, a German-Polish community, mostly German. We didn't have many Germans in our church, but there were a few. Uh, and there was one of them, his name was Warren Schallmer, and I mean he was German to the bone. He, uh, he still had a strong accent, didn't even learn to speak English until he started the first grade. He was a first-generation American, and uh, he, was a, he was a great, great guy. Anyway, when that noon whistle blew, he and I were up at the church, I think hauling off some garbage and stuff. Whistle blew, and he looked down at his watch, an old 17-jewel Timex, and he tapped it, and he said, he said, after all these years, it still keep perfect time. And he said, my mother gave me this whenever I went into the army in World War II. He said, I take that back. That one got shot off my arm. <laughs> he said, uh, this was my brother's. We got this and his dog tags back in an envelope. He was crossing the Rhine River. I think it was about 1945. Every time Warren would look down at that watch, he would be reminded of people who gave an ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms that we have. Really, I guess maybe for the freedoms that his parents moved to Texas for whenever they left Germany. But anyway, we realize that this Memorial Day is not just for present military personnel or former military personnel. It's for those that have died on the field of battle. Memorial Day was established back in 1868 after the war between the states was over with, and it was set aside to honor the soldiers who died in the war between the states. And what people were supposed to do is they were supposed to go and decorate the graves of these men who had died in battle. And, and, and because of that, what it originally was called was Decoration Day. And you would go and you would strew flowers, they said, on tops of the graves of these people. And after a while, people began to forget about those that had died in battle. And they just went over there and strewed some flowers on Minnie's grave and things like that. And we forgot really what the whole purpose of it was. And now 
I think we've forgotten really all about everything that has to do with Memorial Day. But listen, we should never forget, even in all this time of turmoil that we have in our country, about the tens of thousands of men and even women who made the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be free. <laughs> you know, those that want to protest our government and do stuff like that, they need to realize there were people that died just so that they could have the right to protest if that's what they wanted to do. You know, we should never forget those men, but at the same time, we should never forget to give thanks to God and to reverence Him. We never can afford to forget about God. And that's what this passage deals with. Remember, whenever you read the book of Deuteronomy, what you're reading is basically a long extended sermon that Moses gave to the people of Israel. I mean, they were just on the brink of crossing the Jordan River and going into the Promised Land. This was Moses' swan song, so to speak. These were the things, that he, these were the ideas that he wanted to drill into the minds of the people of Israel so that they would remember what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to conduct their lives. And so, that's one of the things that chapter 8 is about. Listen to what the Word of God says as it was spoken through Moses. It goes this way. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your feet did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of, of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, and a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart will be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. 
You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This passage is all about remembering and remembering the right things. Memory is something that can hurt us, something that can help us. It is something that can bring us down. It is something that can lift us up and, and energize us. You know, there's uh, all different ways that people re look back and have their memories and, and it affects their lives. There's some people that look back on the days that are now past and they dwell on the frivolous trifles that they once pursued. You know, there's those people that they're grown and, and uh, you know, middle-aged or whatever, and they still want to act like they're 19 years old. You know, let me tell you something. Whenever you get to be 70 years old, you don't need to try to dress like you did when you were 16. It just doesn't look good on you. Take my word for it. <laughs> If there's some people that they want to feel like that they're still the quarterback of the second string or the head cheerleader, and that's what they live their life based upon. They're still they're living in a fantasy world. They're talking about things that, you know, all their accomplishments on the football field, and nobody even remembers what the score was. And when you tell them, they don't even care. You know, sometimes what we do is our memory guides us to pursue meaningless things and we want to hold on to them and we want to pursue them. As one man said, doing this is just as foolish as the Egyptians did who used to embalm cats and rats. Why? There's some people that with their... They use their memories to dwell on the dark days of past disappointments and losses and pains. And they spend their days wallowing in self-pity over the things that had happened to them in the past. You know, they're kind of like Jacob. You know, the father of Joseph. Well, he was also known as Israel. And, uh, you know, whenever he finally got to come to Egypt, there was this huge, vast famine in the Middle East. And so... Whenever he found out that Joseph was alive, Joseph sent message back home by way of his brothers. And he said, you tell daddy to, you know, grab the old lady and pack up the babies and, and get over here. Seventy some odd descendants of Jacob came. He gets there and Jacob was a rich man. He had cattle and sheep and goats and mules and donkeys and camels by the hundreds he was wealthy. God had blessed him in so many different ways. And whenever he made it into Egypt, one of the first things that happened was Joseph, who was number two in charge there in Egypt, he hustles his daddy in there to meet, to meet the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh asked him a question. He said, how old are you? Now, you might say that's being rather rude, but in that society, it was not rude. It was very respectful because they venerated people that were old. And so he asked Joseph, how old are you? And this is what Joseph said. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. Wake up and smell the coffee. Think of what God has done. But all he wanted to do is whine and complain about how tough his life had been. There's other people that look back to the past with this sentimental nostalgia. They dwell on the way that things used to be. And the way that they think that they ought to still be. We recall what we call the golden age, so to speak. 
I'll have to admit, I have a little bit of that in me, you know. I, I tend sometimes to kind of go off on a rant, talk about the way things used to be and the way they ought to still be, but we realize that that's not where we're supposed to live. You know, sentimental nostalgia is not going to help you out. We can be so wrapped up in the good old days that we fail to see the goodness of God today. But there's another way that memory does help. Because by the same token, memory can inspire us and inspire us to go to greater heights. There's people that you've known in your life that walked with the Lord and you knew it. And their memory, they may not be with you anymore, but their memory still lives on, pointing you in the right direction and to follow the path that God has laid out for us to go on. Or they may remember the times when God refreshed them or how God rescued them whenever they were helpless. And they look back on those times in which they saw God intervene in their lives. And that memory drove them forward. And it meant so much more than all the frivolous memories that they had before. We're going to talk about remembering God you can forget a lot of things in life and get away with it. You know, you can forget a lot of things that you learned in school. How many of you remember working with the quadratic equation whenever you were in high school? Believe it or not, math was my best subject. And man, I could rattle off that quadratic equation like nobody's business. I wouldn't even know how to start on it today, but you know it hadn't hurt me at all because I've got a little pocket calculator. Anyway. <laughs> But let's talk about what this passage tells us about what we should remember. We should remember God in the difficult times of our life. And this is one of the things we see in verses 2 through 6. It's, it reminds them, and he said in here, it said, in verse 2 it says, You shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, so that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commands or not. Remember the reasons for trials. You've been through trials. If you haven't, you're going to go through them. You can't go through life without having some types of trials. And, and, and these are what you would call tests of faith. You know, and what we do is we remember what these things are all about. As a matter of fact, in the letter of James, you can look there in chapter 1, and I think it's in verse 2 where he just starts right off, the first thing out of the box says, count it all joy when you fall into various types of trials. If you have a King James Version, it says various kinds of or diverse, uh, diverse temptations. Understand this, a temptation back in the 1600s was just the word that covered trials in, in general. And so it's not saying that we ought to count it all joy whenever the devil tempts us to do something bad. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about is the trials of life, and we're all going to go through them. Your trial may have to do with a physical illness. Your trial may have to do with financial ruin. Your trial may have to do with a family member that is just giving you one headache after another. You know, we don't know what it might be, but there are trials that we're going to face and why does God allow that to happen? And why in the world should we count it all joy when we fall into them? It's because they not only test our faith, but they teach us to depend on God and that we need Him to survive. You look in verse 3 of what we read, He tells us this. He says, And He that is God humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Our trials teach us things about God. Our trials teach us things about the way of truth. 
you know, we have to we have to be reminded that it is not by our own hands and by our own will that we survive. It is because of God that we survive. You remember the sermon that Paul preached on, on Mars Hill. You can read about it in Acts chapter 17 in which he was speaking to these Greek philosophers. He plucked a couple of verses of, of Greek uh, poetry out and cited them with approval because they were right. Paul said, you know, about God, he says, In Him we live and move and have our being. Why are you alive today? It's because God let you be alive. It's because God has permitted you to be alive. Whenever Daniel was called into the, to the party room of Belshazzar when he was having his wicked feast and saw the handwriting on the wall and it scared the bejeebers out of him whenever he saw all of that and his knees began knocking together and, and, and Daniel comes in there and he tells him about all the blessings that God had given to Belshazzar and to his father and his grandfather and he said, but you know what? You have ignored the God in whose hand is your very breath of life. God is the one who preserves us. And whenever we go through a trial, it reminds us that there is one person that we need to survive, and that one person is our God, the creator of all things. It's trials that teach us this. Think about it. We learn very little in life without trials. Just as we learn from our parents' discipline, we learn from our trials. There are things when you were growing up you got punished for and you never forgot the punishment and it taught you a lesson that you know now looking back, well, I'm glad I learned that lesson because I ain't doing that anymore. I learned my lesson and that's what trials are for. They teach us about God. Another thing that we should note in this passage here is that we should remember God even in all the good times. And I want to tell you something, it's a lot harder to remember God in the good times than it is in the bad times. You know, understand this, we read this here in verses 7 through 14. We read it a while ago, and I'm not going to go over it all again. But what it's teaching us in those verses is that every good and perfect gift that we receive comes down from the Father of lights. That's what it is. Every good thing we enjoy is a gift, and a gift is always a product of His grace. We never earn the things that we have in life. Now, I know I've mentioned this before, but, you know, I get tired of hearing this, this word used on commercials all the time, where they'll say, you know, you, you know, you try our product or you buy our insurance, and we'll give you the coverage you deserve. You come to me and I'll help you out and I will give you the help that you deserve. No, it's what you want. And what you want a lot of times isn't what you deserve. As a matter of fact, most of the time we don't want what we deserve. Understand that everything that we have in, in life is a gift of God's grace. I may have told you this before too. If you nod your head, you'll know, yeah, he's saying, tell me the same story again. But... You know, we talk about whenever we gather around the table to give thanks for the food that's on the table, sometimes we still say, you know, so-and-so, would you say grace for us? And, uh, you know, and that person begins thanking God for the food. And, you know, and every now and then you'll hear someone make this wisecrack and say, well, I'll say grace, grace, like that. What that person doesn't know is that at one time that was what was done at certain tables. They gathered around the table, and, they, and one person very solemnly would say, grace, a reminder that that's why the food was there. It was grace. 
God's grace that gave it. And whenever you look at it this way, there's not much more that you need to say. <laughs> really. That'll cut your prayers short, I guess. But anyway, but understand that whatever good you have is, is, is from grace. And forgetting grace is a very easy thing to do. It's much easier to remember God in the hard times than in the good times. It's a whole lot easier to cry out to God, save me, than it is to say, thank you, God. <laughs> we need to remember to obey God. Verses 19 and 20 tells us what happens whenever we forget about God. Because forgetting about God and disobeying God are hitched together. Forgetting God is always going to be followed by disobeying God. It's not saying, you know, whenever it talks about forgetting God, it's not like all of a sudden your memory just gets wiped out and you act like you've never heard of God before. No, forgetting about God right here, what it's talking about is turning your back on God, ignoring God, acting as if He doesn't exist, acting as if He doesn't see what you're doing, acting as if He doesn't know what you're doing, acting as if He can't do anything about it when He knows what you're doing. Well, all of those things are wrong. We have to remember to obey God. He is everywhere present. He is all-knowing. And He is the one to whom someday we must give account. As soon as we are focused on the wrong things, we become opposed to God. And I will tell you why. You can't forget about God and go down the right path. Because it is not within us to do it without God. It's just like what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. He said, I know that in me that is in my flesh there dwells no good thing. We can't make this life and forget about God. One other little thing here. Is that we need reminders. We really do. We need those times in which we're prodded not to forget. We need to, re to be determined not to remember God. We, because we have so many distractions in life, don't we? So many things that call for our attention. You know, and I know we joke around it a, a, about it quite a bit, but we're, we're, and I joke around about it a lot, about electronic gadgetry that always seems to keep our minds so occupied. I mean, this was several years ago, and uh, I, was, I was at an airport waiting to catch a flight to go preach up in Wyoming. And I looked at the people that were sitting there in the terminal as we were waiting to board the plane. And you know what? Nearly everybody but one person or two people had their, had their smartphones out and doing all this stuff on there. And maybe they were playing games or maybe they were reading stuff. I don't know what they were doing. But all of them had their little smartphones out. And I showed them. I got out my flip phone. And I erased a text message. <laughs> but, you know, things like that take up our time. But there's other things that dr drop, pull our attention away from God. Sometimes getting ahead in life is the only thing that we can think about, and it causes us to forget about God. Sometimes keeping up with the Joneses and having lots of toys to play with, big boy toys and big girl toys, cause us to forget about God. Sometimes staying slim and looking more like a movie star than anyone else causes us to forget about God. Sometimes dealing with disasters, even natural disasters, sometimes cause us to forget about God. 
But I want you to remember this. There's a lot of things that, tr that make racket and try to take our attention away from God. But above all the clamor of distraction, if you will listen, the voice of God can still be heard. And that is, you shall remember the Lord your God. If we forget him, we will always do so to our own hurt and harm. We cannot ignore God without paying the price for our forgetfulness. Let's pray together. Now, our Lord, forgive us for the times that we have forgotten you, the times that we have ignored you. Thank you, Lord, for your patience with us, and we thank you, Lord, even for every trial that you have laid upon us because it's through those things that we've learned about you. Lord, we thank you for your grace. And Lord, I'm thankful that we haven't gotten what we deserve. You're far more merciful with us than we are with other people. Now, Lord, we pray that you would <clears throat> wipe out those things that cause us to ignore you so that we will be able to walk in harmony with you and enjoy your grace each day. And Lord, we thank you for the ultimate gift of grace, and that is the giving of your Son to die in our place, to take that punishment, that, that just punishment that should fall upon us. He took it all, and then he was raised from the dead. We thank you that he now is at your right hand and is interceding for us, and Lord, we look forward to the day that he comes back for us. Lord, we love you, and we, we are so thrilled that you love us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.